Welcome to the podcast series from the ESRC National Centre for Research Methods at the University of Southampton. In today's podcast, Dr. Rose Wiles talks about her recently published book, What Are Qualitative Research Ethics? So by qualitative research ethics, I'm, I'm thinking about the ethical issues that are relevant to researchers who are undertaking qualitative research. And I'm thinking about the sorts of research that involves interviews with people, um, as well as ethnographic or other forms of observation of groups that um, qualitative researchers might undertake. Uh, So it generally involves talking or interacting with research participants in the main. So qualitative research generally has two main features. Firstly, it tends to involve getting to know participants fairly well, but very well um, if you're undertaking longitudinal or ethnographic research. And it also involves hearing or, or observing important and perhaps distressing experiences that research participants might have had. In my own research, I've worked in the health field in, in the main, and I've conducted research with people who've had strokes or who've had heart attacks, talking about their experience of that health event and also coming to terms with a um, subsequent disability. And I've also conducted research on suicide, exploring relatives' experiences of having a member of their family taking their own life. So uh, quite sensitive issues, quite difficult issues for people to talk about. Could you give us one or two examples of the sort of situation a researcher might find themselves in then, where ethics need to be considered in relation to that sort of sensitive uh, discussion or sensitive information that's coming your way? There's often issues around the probably main concerns that occur, ethical concerns that occur in qualitative research. So there might be issues of consent, of confidentiality and anonymity. So if somebody's telling you things that are, are quite personal and, and perhaps quite distressing, you need to think about how you're going to use that information, um, how you're going to write about it and whether those people actually understand how that's going to be used uh, and to think about you know, what would happen if other people uh, perhaps could identify who they are, so to think about those sorts of issues. I've conducted some research talking to researchers about how they manage issues of informed consent and, and one of the examples that came up um, as a result of that research I think is really quite a useful one. So this researcher was conducting research in a school and she was talking to children about school-based friendships. Um, and she was using very participatory methods. And uh, in relation to consent, she wanted to get consent from both the child and their parent. So the children were given a consent form to take home, um, and they needed to sign it, and their parent also needed to sign it. And when it came to um, undertake the research, which, which was taking place in school, um, the child bought the consent form in, and it, the child had obviously forged a signature. But but they were really keen to take part in the research, and, and they felt they'd be would feel left out if they couldn't take part, and all their friends were were doing so. So that's a kind of ethical dilemma. What do you do about that? Should the researcher overlook the fact that this consent is very likely um, forged and just let the child take part because they're going to feel really left out if they don't? Or should they abide by what they've told the school they're going to do and what they've probably agreed with an ethics committee they're going to do and, and exclude the child because they feel they haven't got parental consent. So that's a, uh, around consent 
with children, that's a common sort of issue. Therefore then, uh, Rose, is that why you think, and obviously you know, a number of other researchers do believe that it's quite important and helpful researchers to have a, an ethical framework within which they can work? Yes, I, I, th I think it's really important to have a framework. Not all researchers would agree with that view. So, so there is a view among researchers that frameworks kind of impose decision-making. They, they impose a particular type of decision to be made. And some researchers have the view that all research is very contextual. It's um, emerging in a particular situation with a particular participant, a particular researcher, and you have to make your decisions as they emerge, really. Um, and I don't disagree with that because obviously research does take place in a particular type of context. But I think that ethical frameworks, they, they don't provide answers to ethical dilemmas. They don't tell people what to do, but they do provide a means of thinking about the issues. They provide a framework for thinking about it and for assessing what might be appropriate thing to do. Uh, and just something that... that um, if they can think about um, their decision within this framework, it also, I think, helps them to justify the decisions that they've made and, and also to defend it, if that's necessary in the future, perhaps to a research participant who's unhappy or to an ethics committee or to an institution. So I think it, it really, those kind of frameworks are really helpful for researchers in, in formalising their thinking. So, Rose, the framework proposed by you in your book is based around four approaches. Explain a bit about each of those. If I start with the consequentialist approach, this kind of approach would argue that ethical decisions should be based on researchers thinking about what the likely consequences of a decision would be, both for a particular individual who, who's involved in the research but also more widely to, to wider society, so to think about others. So a researcher would need to assess what, what the outcome of a decision would be and decide what would be the most beneficial outcome for that individual or for wider society. So a researcher might argue that it would be acceptable to undertake covert research, for example, which is generally quite frowned upon. But a researcher could argue that's OK, that's ethical for something like um, youth crime or, or gangs, if they felt the findings could be seen as benefiting society as a whole. So, so that kind of approach is about thinking about consequences. And the second principalist approach thinks much more about moral rules, not about consequences, but, but about rules. And the kind of principles that guide decision-making are thinking about respect for people's autonomy, which relates to things like informed consent and privacy, those kind of issues. Thinking about the benefits of, of research. So all research should do good in some way. So it's not acceptable to conduct research just because you, you think it would be quite interesting. Actually, it should be some benefits. The third principle is non-maleficence, which concerns responsibility not to harm participants. There shouldn't be risks for people. And the final one is justice, so that people should have an equal likelihood of taking part in research so that they can benefit from it, but also that some groups in society aren't overburdened by research. The ethics of care approach is, is very different to these. It, it doesn't have rules or principles at its core, but it, it focuses on thinking about your participants and the communities in which they're a part of, 
by applying notions of care and compassion to your participants and acting in ways, making decisions that have their care and compassion for those people and for the groups that they're part of at the core. So they, in making an ethical decision, they would always ask, what would be the morally caring action to take that would be best for these research participants and for their communities? And then the final one is virtue ethics. This focuses on the virtue or the moral character of the researcher, and it, it draws on the notion of researcher integrity. So what would a, a researcher who had integrity do in this particular situation? How? What would be the morally or ethically good way to behave? So if there was a particular ethic, ethical dilemma, this kind of approach would expect a researcher to ask what a virtuous researcher would do in a given situation and acting accordingly. Obviously, that's something to aim for rather than something that all researchers can achieve, but, but it's, it's a way of guiding people's thinking. Rose, in the context of um, the development of new methods all the time, um, do these frameworks remain appropriate for those methods? I think they do. I think they can be applied to, to, to all methods, including new methods that are um, being developed. But I, I think some of the approaches are perhaps some of these frameworks are challenged by by new approaches. Perhaps the, the most pertinent is kind of thinking about digital and e-research, um, which is currently very popular. And I think there are a lot of issues around consent um, from using data that, that appears to be publicly available on, on the internet, um, perhaps people's blogs or social networking media or, or forums, particularly um, thinking about forums or blogs which you don't need a, a password to access, that anybody can access. So there's, there's a view that that's publicly available. Anyone can use it. Researchers could use that information. Uh, and that's certainly a view some people have. But it's also been argued by many people that material, even though it's in the public domain, people who've created it or who have participated in it, in a forum, for example, they might not see that as public for use by researchers. They might have some views about it being private in some way, even though that may seem rather strange to people who access it. So, you know, I think it still means that issues of consent have to be taken very seriously and that, that people should, in using that kind of data or accessing that kind of data, should, should think about these ethical issues and should can still apply these ethical frameworks. Just finally, Rose, you've uh, very recently um, had a book published about research ethics. Tell us a bit about why you wrote the book and who might find it useful and why. This book's part of a series that is um, edited by Graham Crow at National Centre for Research Methods, um, which are introductions to various methodological approaches and issues in research methods. So I was interested in writing one about research ethics from my experience as being a member of an ethics committee. I've been on NHS ethics committees as well as university ethics committees. And my experience on these committees made me realise that, that there are a lot of people, particularly early career researchers, who find engaging with ethical issues difficult. And I think it's also the case that, that more experienced researchers who supervise um, early career researchers are not necessarily aware of the specific ethical issues that, that might arise in specific research contexts. So uh, I suppose that was my interest in writing the book, as, as well as previous research that I've done on ethics. Um, and I wanted to address some of those issues 
it is very much an introduction to ethical issues for qualitative researchers who are embarking on research, perhaps at master's or PhD level. But I also wanted to engage with some of the more specific ethical dilemmas um, in relation to common issues of consent, confidentiality and anonymity that researchers have identified through the various bits of research that I've done. Dr Rose Wilde from the National Centre for Research Methods at the University of Southampton was talking to Chris Garrington about her recently published book, What a Qualitative Research Ethics, which is published by Bloomsbury Academic.